Ephesians chapter 5 once again. We are probably going to be in this book so much, this chapter anyway, that in a week or two you'll be able to hold it up and your Bible will fall open to this chapter. I'd like the men to come forward at this time that are uh, going to be passing out those little pieces of paper. Uh, you're not allowed to look at them. You are under law. Put them in your Bible if you would. Uh, the men are going to be, just work your way back guys, the men are going to be getting a very plain piece of white paper that has some significance to it. You'll see why later. The women are going to be getting a nice pastel green piece of paper and there's significance to that as well. Now you are under obligation, please. Put them in your Bible. Do not look at them. Funny in the first service, you all know Kara Graves. Kara is a young lady who worships here. I'll show you how the law works. said, you're under law, you cannot look at them. So she starts holding it up to the light. Classic Pharisee, right there. That's how a Pharisee handles the law. And so I called her on it, and everybody was cracking up and everything. And she says, well, I didn't look at it. See, just like a Pharisee. She says, I obeyed the law. She did. She didn't open it, but she was trying. Classic example. Well, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about the abuse of women. And I guess we could say that last week we finished them off. So uh, now it's the men's turn. It's the men's turn. And all the women of God missed their cue. It's the men's turn. Amen. Amen. But before we begin, I want to take a few minutes of brief review to bring us all up to date. We have been following Paul's flow of thought in Ephesians 5.18, dealing with the flow of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. In other words, when we are filled with the Spirit, it's going to be manifest. You're going to be able to look at our life, and you're going to be able to see some things. In other words, this passage is very similar to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we're dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. And that is more in terms of the personal effects of the Holy Spirit in our life. You look at our life and you see gentleness, you see kindness, you see patience and, and that kind of thing. Personal effects of the life of the Spirit of God within a human being. Ephesians chapter 5, however, deals a little differently with the effects of the Spirit. And that is more in terms of relational effects. Uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our life that are visible based on relationships. And we saw, first of all, that this is manifest in our relationship to God. That instantly upon being told that we are to be filled with the Spirit, the next thing that happens is praise to God. Uh, so a person who is Spirit-filled is one who is naturally filled with praise. If you're not filled with praise, you're just advertising that you're not filled with the Spirit. It's just that simple. And another effect is thanksgiving. We are thankful to God. Now, next we saw relationally that it will have some effects in terms of our relationship to others. And the first one that was brought out was submission. And we said then, and this is a very, very important point, that being filled with the Spirit is the only way that you and I can have submission in our life. Submission is a supernatural work of God. A direct result, a direct consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you think about this at all, this is the way it has to be. For one, we all have the flesh. And the flesh has pride. The flesh seeks to exalt itself. And so you cannot fight flesh with flesh. Don't you see that? If you fight flesh with your flesh and are successful, you'll get prideful. You see, you cannot win. The only way to battle the flesh is with the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that can accomplish submission in your life. 
And to be sure, you have to cooperate. You have to grit your teeth and claim by faith that he's working. But it is a supernatural work of God. A second reason that we can't have this in and of our own resources. Look who's being asked to submit. Pretty faulty people. If you don't believe that, look around the room. If you really want to confirm it, look in a mirror. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to submit to people. And that gives us a third reason. The faulty people that we submit to. And all the wives said... I know, you've got to go home and live with the guy. Listen, <laughs> this is the problem. We are faulty people submitting to faulty people. We can't pull it off unless the Holy Spirit of God does a work in our lives. So we need the Holy Spirit. At that point, Paul transferred the train of thought and got very specific and said, wives are to submit to their husbands. Very important, I point out to you then here, that submission is not based on worth or ability, but for the purpose of maintaining order in society. Classic example is Jesus Christ. He is God, is he not? But he was in submission to the Father. He is in no way inferior to the Father in any way, shape, or form. He is the living God. But as a person, he's in submission to the Father. That's the way it is with women. Women are not inferior to men. Women do not have less value than men to God. In fact, many times, women are superior spiritually to men. There are some women who are better teachers than men. Some women that are even better teachers than the priesthood. Okay? <laughs> but because they're spiritual, they will submit to the pastor and the leadership and the elders. See how that works? So it's only for the purpose of maintaining order in society. And it has to be that way because we all have flesh that seeks to exalt itself. We know it from that famous verse where two or more are gathered, you are sure to have conflict. Right? Especially when it involves intimate relationship, like a husband and a wife. At that point then, we branched off and saw that the submission of women is an issue that has been, excuse me, been perverted by men throughout the centuries. And with some very tragic consequences with women and marriage. An even greater tragedy is the fact that the church has perverted the submission of women. And we took an entire day and dealt with that, looking at three key verses that the church has misinterpreted, mistranslated, and women have therefore been abused in the church with a perversion of this role of submission. And we titled that message, The Abuse of Women. And if you didn't get that, I really would encourage you to take a look at that because it's going to challenge what you may have been taught. Last time we were together, we saw that the submission of women has been perverted not only by men, but by women too. That women pervert this issue when they abandon their role of influence. They have been given a unique role of influence where they can win their husband without even speaking a word. And when they leave that role and become negative and critical, we found that they can actually become abusive. And so we had the abusive women. And it's a reality in all too many marriages. I was informed by Nancy this week that that was the highest tape order of a single message that we have ever, ever had. I believe that was not without design. I believe that that occurred largely because of the honesty with which we dealt with this subject. I don't know any other way to put it than we exposed men that day. We really did. We said that men have a tremendous fear of rejection. And all we've got to do to understand this is go back to the Garden of Eden and look at Adam and Eve. And the very first thing they did when they fell into sin was they hid in the bushes from God and they put on some fig leaves and they hid from each other. 
And I've got to be honest with you, the church down through the centuries has done a very good job of pointing out how Adam and Eve hid from each other. But the church has not done a very good job of pointing out how Adam's and Eve's, the sons of Adam and the sons of daughters of Eve, have been hiding ever since. We wear the same fig leaves today. Men who hide at work, stay at their jobs to avoid coming home. Men, when they come home, who are unemotional and distant and become so involved with chores around the house. Anything they can do to avoid intimacy with their spouses. Non-communicative. Unemotional. Rocks of granite. And I tell you, beloved, that is a man who's hiding. Hiding for fear of rejection. Afraid to be found out for who he really is. We said that men become like turtles. They got a real hard shell on the outside, but inside you're just dealing with a man, that's all. A soft and vulnerable man, which is the way God created him in the first place. God did not create man to be this strong, macho type and tackle life on his own. God created man weak, so that man in turn would depend on God who is strong, and in depending upon God, thereby find his strength. Man was never intended to live independent of God out of his own strength. Never. And this is the lie that we've bought, man. And then on top of all that, we said that a man is called to lead. <laughs> what an incredible thing. you got somebody who's weak and vulnerable called to lead. When you lead, you make decisions. When you make decisions, some of them are going to be good. Some of them are going to be bad. When you make a bad decision, what are you going to get? Criticism. So a lot of men, they just go right back into that turtle shell and they won't make any decisions. Men hide, people. They do. They're hard on the outside, but they're soft on the inside. We also exposed women, didn't we? We said that women contribute to this turtle syndrome. When that hubby sticks his head out and makes a decision, and the wife sits there and criticizes him and ridicules him or nags him, man, it's a lot easier just to go back into that shell and quit. And become married to your job. Become distant at home. And it happens. It really happens. In fact, if I was going to retitle that message, this is how I'd title it. Men who hide and women who keep them hiding. It's a reality in so many, many Christian homes, beloved. Really. We talk so much in the church about how God hates divorce. How many sermons you heard on God hates divorce? You heard a lot of them? How many sermons have you heard on how God is not pleased with the state of Christian marriages today? The proportion is out of whack. I had a, a couple come to see me once. This woman says to me, I hate my marriage. That's why well, I don't think God's too thrilled with it either, honey. <laughs> and, I, and I don't. And that gave her hope. It gave the husband hope as the two of them sat there before me. That God wasn't thrilled with it either. God wanted change too. And they began to find some change and I think they're doing pretty well today. We touch some buttons. That's what I'm trying to communicate. Because this is real life. I don't want to just teach this passage. I, I don't want to just... <laughs> let that be a lesson to you. I, <laughs> I don't want to just sit here and give you all the Greek words and exegete it and you walk out of here going, husbands love your wife and wife submit to your husband. That's been done to you a hundred times over. I want to apply it. I want it to become a part of your life. And so many of the women in this assembly came to me and told me this week how much they learned about their husband. They never understood why their husband acted the way he did. 
began to make some change. One woman in particular sticks out in my mind. We were talking and I was trying to share with her. We were discussing the major theme that I presented last time together. And this was the major theme. That I wish women could understand how weak, needy, and vulnerable that man is that she's married to. And this is what she said to me. But Frank, it's hard to see that they are needy because they appear so strong. Did you hear it? It is hard for me as a woman to see this guy as a needy guy because he looks so sufficient. Gang, a turtle shell doesn't look soft. Right? It looks hard. It's the appearance that's the problem. Inside they are soft. Men wear fig leaves, ladies. They really do. And your role of influence can draw them out. Your role of criticism will drive them deeper into their shell. Someone shared with me this week a fascinating thought that the longer a turtle lives, the thicker and harder their shell gets. So you want a hard-shelled husband, ladies. You just keep on criticizing. You keep on nagging. You'll drive him deeper. I guarantee you. Well, men, it's your turn. And what I want to share with you today is it is no different for a woman. You as a man have got to look beyond this negative critical spirit of a woman that you may be living with and see inside that woman. Just as the woman may look at you and see this strong, self-sufficient veneer and she needs to see inside to the weak, vulnerable human being that you are, you in turn need to look beyond the negative criticism that's coming out of her mouth and look inside to the hurt, frustrated, neglected woman that's there. You see, so often the finger in churches is pointed at the non-submissive woman. And I want to tell you, man, what's really going on is she is reacting to the lack of love that she's experiencing at your hands. Now, just like we said last time with the man who hides, whose responsibility is it? It's his. He's got to claim Christ as his sufficiency and come out of that shell and be a man. It's the same way with the woman. She is responsible for her negative criticism. Jesus Christ is sufficient for her. But men, you've got to understand that all too often, you may have been the contributor to her negativism. When I deal with men who have critical wives, this is the picture that I often get as they communicate with me. And so I drew this for you to put it in a way that you would understand it. You do like my drawings, right? You promise to not reject me, right? But this is oftentimes what I see. Where a man looks at his wife and all he sees is this negative, critical critter. And he runs from her. 
And men, what I'm saying to you is you've got to look beyond this and see what's going on inside. And what's going on inside may be a very sad and hurt little lady who's reacting to the lack of love that she's experiencing at your hands. She is often the result of an unloving husband. She is responsible, gang. Jesus is sufficient for her, but hubby is a contributor. We'll put it this way. You may have helped to create that monster through your lack of love. And again, it can happen in so many ways. We use a principle in our discipleship counseling ministry. And this is it. And I need you to own this. You might need to write it down. That rebellion is a direct result of rejection. That you cannot rebel against love. I want to say it again. Rebellion is a direct result of rejection. One cannot rebel against love. Show me a person who's in rebellion and I'll show you a person who is experiencing rejection. I was meditating on that last week as I was preparing this teaching time. Seeking out how we were going to apply this to the husband-wife relationship and the dynamic of all that goes on in that relationship. And I was taking it to Father. And I had one of those glorious times where Father just sort of lifts the veil and you gain some understanding that you never saw before. You ever have that happen? You know, you've, you've had that happen? It's like you read something in the Bible and you never knew it was there before, but you've read it a hundred times. You've done that? Yeah? One or two of you? This is the second service. You've all had your coffee? Incredible thing. Well, I was taking this to Father, and I said, Okay, Father, rebellion is a direct result of ejection. You cannot rebel against love. You've got this critical wife who's actually reacting against the lack of love of a husband. And all of a sudden, there was a turning in my spirit, and I got these foreign thoughts that I hadn't thought before. Is that really true, Frank? What about Adam? Adam? Adam was perfectly loved by his father. But Adam rebelled. And I was thrown into some turmoil. I mean, Father, I never thought about that before. Adam was perfectly loved by God, and yet Adam rebelled. But Father, I believe this principle. I have seen its dynamic. I have seen the power of rejection destroy people. I have seen the power of acceptance and love just transform people before my very eyes. There's got to be an explanation somewhere, Father. Help! And then the answer poured into my mind. Yes, Frank, Adam was perfectly loved. Adam was not rejected. But Adam perceived that he was rejected. You remember the story? 
There he was, perfectly loved in the garden, and this, the tempter came along and said, Indeed, has God said that you shall not eat? Oh, Adam, God's just holding out on you. He knows that when you eat from that fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. And he doesn't want you to be like God. See? And so the tempter sowed seeds of doubt into Adam's mind about this love. And so Adam did not perceive the love, but he perceived rejection. And when he perceived rejection, it feels just like real rejection. And he rebelled. And I smiled as I was driving to church. And I just said, oh, Father, you are the teacher. You know all things. I don't thank you for showing me that. Technicality, schmechnicality, you know. So if you see me driving around and laughing or talking to my, I'm not talking to myself. We're just having a great time with fathers. I'm sure you do too when you drive around. So again, men hear this. Often the root behind a negative critical woman is that she is either experiencing real rejection or she is experiencing perceived rejection at your hands. And so what happens, for lack of a better word, is they rebel or react against that. Can somebody talk to the Exodus up there? And Tom, could you do that for me? Tom, could you settle down the uh, march to... Is to <laughs> Take another lap around Mount Sinai up there. That's <laughs> oh. Guys, this can happen in so many ways. Tone of voice. Neglect. Busyness. Taking her for granted. Never thanking her or praising her. Again, she's responsible for it. But you've contributed. And that's what makes this passage so wonderful. Because God gives man just one simple thing to do. Isn't that wonderful? God comes to man and he says, let me give it to you very simple. Let me give you the kiss method, guys. No, I'm not going to kiss you. Don't get excited, Bruce. <laughs> but he says, it's just going to give you one thing to do. That's all. Look at it. Ephesians 5, verse 25. And the part now on the husband goes all the way from verse 25 to verse 33. You ready? Look at it. Husbands, love your wives. And you can stop right there. There's only one command, one charge. That's it. And it's love your wife. Listen to this, guys. You're not told to make her to submit. That's her job. You're not told to disciple her. You're not told to counsel her. You're not told to fix her. You're just told one simple thing, guys. And that's just love her. That's all. Just plain and simple love her. And if you look at the rest of the passage... You'll see that this is borne out. 525a, the first part of the verse, says lover. 525b, through the whole rest of the passage, is just a clarification of what love is. An illustration. In other words, God says, here's what I want you to do, men. Lover. And here's what I mean about love. Look at Jesus Christ and how he loves. And that's it. Just love her. 
And what we're going to do today is home in on that command. To love your wife. But before we do that, we need to pray. In other words, all that we've just looked at was introduction. In other words, there's three times as many verses dealing with the hubby as there is with the wife. In other words, we spent two weeks on the woman. So guys, we're going to be here a while. So why don't we all stand? Why? Because it's going to be here a while today. (laughs) And because as a people, we need to stand before our God and beseech Him. Our Father, You are the teacher. You are God. And we need You to teach us about this thing called love. Because Your Word tells us that love is of God. That means that love is not from us. So if you don't tell us what love is, we're never going to know what it is. So Father, be the teacher. Open our eyes, open our hearts. We're going to trust you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Husbands. You can sit down. Love your wife. That's what the verse says. So here we go. Let's break it down. We're going to move quick. First of all, it's a present tense verb. Love. Present tense. It means it's to be done continually. Moment by moment. All the time. You loved her yesterday. That's great. What are you doing today? You loved her today. That's great. In bed. And you came up to your wife and said, Honey, I'd like to make love tonight. And what if she said to you, no, we did that on our wedding night. What we said then, what we did then still stands. Do you think it might wake him up? Open his eyes a little? You say, are there actually men like that out there? Yeah. Yeah, there are. There are probably some of them in here. It's a tragedy. Love is a dynamic that has to be constantly occurring. Because love involves a relationship. It involves two people. Secondly, it's an active verb. It means it's not passive. It's not something that happens to you. Clear up this old adage that just permeates this country. You fell in love. Guys, you can't fall in love. You can fall into a ditch. But you don't fall in love. Love is an active, active word. It's an action. It is something you do. That means that it's not an emotion. It's not something you feel. That means further that Linus was wrong. Love is not a warm puppy. It means that it is not a goose bumpy. It means that love is not, does not mean that you're never having to say you're sorry, as Ali McGraw said in the movie Love Story. Back in the early 70s, I believe. Late 60s. I didn't want to say late 60s. Be quiet. How many of you were a product of that generation and saw that movie? All right. I've wondered what that meant for years. (laughs) Have you? And not too long ago, God showed me the answer to that. 
What does that mean, never having to say you're sorry? And then it clicked. That is a product of the counterculture revolution of the 70s and the drug culture. And the only way you're ever going to understand it is if you're on drugs. <laughs> so I want you to think back with me many years ago to the 70s and picture a couple of these young hippie types hanging out in a room with black light posters and their black light and their strobe lights going on and, and Jimi Hendrix wailing away on the guitar and the two of them are sitting there talking and the one says, hey man, what's love? We're like, wow man, that's heavy subject. I don't know man, what is love? Well, I think love's like that cool babe Allie McGraw said. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Wow. Awesome, man. Oh. That's not it. Love is an act of the will. Love is a choice. Something you choose to do. It's also an imperative verb, which means it's a command. Loving your wife is not an elective course. Loving your wife is not dependent on what she does. You love your wife no matter what. Even if you don't feel anything for her. Bill Gillum really put this into perspective with this little phrase. It is not, I love Janet, she is my wife. That tends to communicate that she will be my wife as long as I love her. But if I cease to feel love for her, we'll go find another. You see how that works? Better is this. Janet is my wife. I love her. You see that? Because she is my wife, I do love her, whether I feel it or not. Now, beloved, we've done this before, but we need to do it again. And again and again and again, because Satan has so duped us into this. We are to love whether we feel it or not. Love is not an emotion. In fact, I want to hold that and I'm going to come back to it in just a minute because I want to look at the definition of the word itself first and then we'll do that. The word then, fourthly, is agape and it's the love of no condition and no expectation. So let's put a definition and here we go. Love is a commitment on the part of the one loving to treat another with the highest worth ministering significance and acceptance to that person with no regard for oneself in terms of expectations or demands. Love is the total giving of oneself to another. This kind of love then is independent of emotions but not unemotional. Now please tune in here because again this is where the church has really fouled this up over the years. The church has harped so hard on the fact that agape love is not emotional that we've neglected the issue of emotions. And when people then feel or don't feel, they're kind of thrown into a tizzy here. I want you to understand this. It means that I love no matter what I feel. But I do feel. What do I feel? Well, when I love... And that love is not returned to me. When that love is rejected, I am going to feel pain. And that is because I am a human being. And that is normal. 
when I love and that love is returned to me, that's awesome possum. And I'm going to feel pleasure. But the key behind this kind of love is that we love whether we feel the pain or the pleasure. So it is a love that is done independent of what we feel, independent of emotions. But it's not necessarily unemotional. There are a lot of dynamic things that are going to be going on in a relationship of love. Some good, some bad. Here's where I want to illustrate it. Robbie Wilson. Robbie decides to go out and slander my name all over this city. Now he comes back and I find out about it and I confront him over it. And Robbie says, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And I say to him, well, brother, I already forgave you. Walking in the spirit, right? But now I will restore you. Now Robbie comes in the next Sunday and he's a real kind of expressive, touchy-feely kind of guy. Right? <laughs> Jessica, by faith, that Robbie is an expressive guy. And he comes up to me and he says, Hey, Frank, my beloved, the last thing in the world I feel like doing is hugging Robbie. I am hurt. I'm probably still angry. I have forgiven him. I have done what my will requires me to do before God. But it's going to take a while for my emotions to catch up. Now, if I reach out and hug him, what is the evil one going to be communicating to me at that point? You hypocrite. You don't feel anything for Robbie. In fact, you feel you want to put your arms around his neck instead of around his shoulders. Beloved, at that moment, I am walking in the light more than I've ever walked in the light in my life. I am following the exact footsteps of Jesus Christ himself. If you don't believe that, you look at the Gospels and you tell me, did he feel like going to the cross? It was he in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before saying, Father, we can't wait for tomorrow. What was he saying? Father, if there's any other way, get me out of this thing. This thing doesn't sound good to me at all. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And I'm gritting my teeth and I'm going even though I don't feel like it. Now you tell me right now, was Jesus Christ a hypocrite at that point? No way. Was what he did at the cross, did it, did it not count because he didn't feel it? If it didn't count, we're in big time trouble. Does it not count then when I'm hugging Robbie even though I don't feel like it? Gang, that counts. And as I continue to reach out and hug him with gritted teeth every week, Father, I don't feel like hugging him right now, but I'm going to hug that slug. See? What's eventually going to happen to my emotions? They're going to get in line with what I'm doing. Do you see it? I am to love independent of what I feel. But it does not mean I'm not going to feel. I'm either going to be feeling pain or I'm going to be feeling pleasure or any number of things in between. Now, beloved, there's one more important point that we've got to bring out then. And I trust you'll see this. That love then supremely is the giving of oneself to another. That's the bottom line. The giving of yourself. And that involves two things. Opening the door of your life and letting someone else in. Opening the door of your life and letting yourself out. Telling the truth about what you really feel, men. Telling the truth about your fears at work. 
your hurts at work as other people are promoted instead of you, the tongue lashings you get, the neglecting that you get, the criticism of other people, the rudeness of other people at work, and what it's like on those interstates as you drive to and from work, and sharing it, and letting her into your life. It's ultimately the giving of yourself. I do a lot of marriage counseling, and often when I do, I give a test. The reason I give the test is twofold. One, one partner usually wants to be there. The other has been dragged. And the one who has been dragged is oftentimes going to try to snow me. And it's very easy to, to snow me. So what I do is I give a test. Because you can't snow the test. Another reason, it gives me a lot of information in a very short time. They might have been doing this for 25 years. I don't have 25 years to unravel it. By giving a test, I get a lot of info, short time. One of the questions is this. In what ways have you demonstrated love to your spouse in the last six months? Never fails. The wife, man, she starts writing. The hubby looks at me with this blank stare. You know? You know, wives, it's kind of like that look when you say, Hubby, will you change the diaper on the baby? You know, that kind of look. One guy, many years ago, he took the cake. I've got to share this guy with you. I asked the question, in what ways have you demonstrated love to your spouse in the last six months? The wife, she took off writing. And the hubby, he sat there with that blank stare. And he looked at me and he said this. This is the best as I can remember. Would you repeat the question? <laughs> and I said, in what ways have you demonstrated love to your spouse? Demonstrated love. I said, yeah, demonstrated love. Can you elaborate on that? I said, do you love her? Yes. How would she know that? What have you done to her or for her so she would know that you love her? What have I done? Yeah. Have you done anything to let her know that you love her? Could you rephrase it? I said, What have you done for her so that she would know you love her? Have you done anything? Yeah. Write it down. Wife, I had to stop her from writing. Ten minutes go by. He's got five things on his paper. I have her read some of her things. I make his lunch for work. I uh, send a note in there in his lunch. I send him a card at the office. I call him there. Uh, when he comes home, I try to have myself dressed really neat and, and give him a kiss and ask him how his day was. I, uh, you know, on and on and on and on she goes. He had five things. Are you ready? I bought her a new vacuum. I had him read these. I bought her a new car. I bought her a new house. I bought her a health club membership and I bought her a new mixer. And she slapped him with her paper dead in the face. And I wanted to hit him too. <laughs> no. And she said this. Don't you see? I don't want things. I want you. That's it. And many men can hide behind the fig leaves of buying things for their bride 
and never ever sharing their personal life. Love is supremely the giving of yourself to another. Now today, guys, I want to help you do that in the time that we have remaining. And I trust the Holy Spirit in you to give you understanding and then application of what I'm about to share. So that you'll begin to pull it off in your relationships. Because I believe, I really do, that you want to love your wife. Don't you? I mean, I really believe it, even if it's blind faith. But uh, you really want to love your wife, don't you? In a meaningful way. And single guys, this is for you too. Because one day you're going to get a wife. And you're going to want to know what to do. And single ladies and married ladies, this is for you. Because you need to arm yourself with some things to share concretely to this guy so he'll know what to do when you get married. You see this? So here we go. We shared with you last week that there are three simple ways to love a man. And that is because of the design of man. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God made man, it says he formed him out of the dust to the ground. The Hebrew word for form there means to mold or to frame. Kind of like a potter. Take a lump of clay and just sort of mold it. Alright? But when God made man, woman rather, he didn't use the word formed. He used a different word. New American Standard captured it. God fashioned her. Now I was meditating on that this week and I said, Oh my father! There it is! They were created to shop! <laughs> Says so, right there! Fashion! So that's the reason. No, that's literally not what it means, though. It means to build. But here's the key, guys. To build with precision. Jack Taylor captured it better than anybody. This is what he said. When God made man, he made a rather simple thing. And when God made woman, he handcrafted her. And all the men ought to say amen. Now the key question. Woman, how do you love a simple thing? And men, how do you love someone who's handcrafted? Here we go. Ladies, if you would, please, you got that pastel green paper. Would you take it out? Wife, if you'll just, says this, if you just tell me, hubby, what it is you want me to do for you, I'll try to do it. And hubby says, I need to know that you're attracted to me. And you can do that by. Now, beloved, this is not my information. I got this information from Bill and Annabelle Gillum. As they did their marriage conferences around the country, they gave out these surveys. If you wish to, for your spouse to do one thing for you more than anything else, guys, gals, what would it be? And after thousands and thousands of surveys, it always came back with these three answers. And then a huge gap and then a bunch of little ones that popped up every once in a while. So they finally quit giving the survey. And the same thing for women. The same answers always popped up. So they finally just quit giving the survey. So here it is. Wife says this. If you just tell me what it is you want me to do. And hubby says, all right, here's what I need you to do. I need to know that you're attracted to me. And you can do that by praising me. When you praise me, I feel secure. I guarantee you, ladies, I wish I had a dollar for every man who avoids the home. 
because it's not worth going home. Men who stay at work because that's where they get their praise. Why go home where I get criticized for everything I say and do? Hear this, please. You might want to write this in, ladies. There is power in praise. There is power in encouragement. And I guarantee you, ladies, if you don't praise your husband, he'll go somewhere where he can find praise. It may be the mistress of a job. It may be a secretary. But he will go where he gets praise. God wired him that way. He needs it. And if he'll say, my wife is attracted to me. You can do that secondly by allowing your husband to be your authority figure. And there's a key word there. She allows her husband. See, submission is her thing, not the guy's. Something she does. We saw that last week. When she does that, he believes that she trusts his wisdom and his integrity and his ability to make decisions. And man, he's going to feel that she is attracted to me. Honor him, ladies. Exercise your role of influence. If you don't understand what that is, get that tape from two weeks ago on abusive women. And it'll tell you. And then thirdly, she enters into delight with the intimacy of physical oneness with her husband. Sexual union. She desires him. And when she does that, man, that's attraction. And he's being loved. And man, does he feel loved. When God made man, he made a rather simple thing. How do you love a simple thing? Praise him, submit to him, sex him. That's it. They're happy. But how do you love someone who's handcrafted? Don't look yet, man. Three very simple ways to love a simple thing. But how do you love somebody who's handcrafted? Are you ready? Here we go. You're not hungry, are you? Uh, here we go, guys. You can pull out that little piece of paper and we're going to have some fun. All right. We're missing an overhead. There it is. Okay. We'll go through this quickly. I wish my husband would love me by number one answer. Thousands and thousands of women all over the country. Look what it is. Listen to me. And guys, take out your pen, please, and write this in. We're going to look at the second one, too. Take my petty problems seriously. That's number two. Write in there, guys. Listen to me. Here's the key. Without trying to give a solution. That's a hard one to learn. Without trying to fix them. Guys, you got to get this through your head. When you come home and she's like this, and she starts to tell you everything that went wrong with the kids, and little Joey, he pulled the coffee maker down. She doesn't want you to say, well, put the coffee maker higher up on the counter. She doesn't want to hear it, I guarantee you. She just wants to tell you what happened. 
And if you try fixing it, she's going to fix you. <laughs> Guys, you got to get this through your head. She just wants to get it out. I had a guy in my, a couple in my office one time, and this was going on, and she was starting to vent, and he kept trying to interrupt and, and you know, fix everything she was saying, and she getting upset, and her emotions were starting to get up to about level nine. I was ready for an explosion. I had to stop and say, stop it. She doesn't want you to fix it. She goes, that's right. Just listen. And he looked at me with this, and I said, I know, I know. Just, just do it. Trust me. Oh. Hi, Janet. <laughs> Communicate more openly with me. We already talked about this. Share yourself. Share your life. Share your fears. Share your frustrations. Notice me more, not just when you want sex. Touch your wife. Not now, Robbie. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Touch your wife with no ulterior motive. If the only time you reach out and grab her hand or put your arm around her or plant a kiss on her is when you want sex, she's going to start to feel used. She's going to start to feel like an object instead of a friend, instead of a companion. And you need to touch her with no other motive. Sit down at night next to her on the couch when the kids are in bed and put your arm around her and kiss her and then go to bed and go to sleep. And that's going to minister to her. And ladies, don't forget your three simple things either. <laughs> must have balance. Remember our old motto here, must have balance. Okay. Say thank you for the little things she does. Don't take her for granted. Oh, man. I guarantee you, when you were courting her and you were over at her house and watching the football game with future father-in-law and, and brothers, and she walked into the room and said something that brother, brothers and father-in-law stayed watching the tube and you turned your attention and said, What do you want, honey? Was that kind of like it was? When she walked into the room, she was the most important thing in your life. And now she comes into the room during the football game and it's, Wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, Brent Musburger's saying something here. I've got to hear this. Guys, don't take her for granted. You know, one of the things that Janet and I have done over the years, and I'll challenge you to do this, is remind each other that we live on the doorstep of eternity. There are times when I walk out that door in the morning, ready to head to work, will kiss her or say something to her like this. You know, sweetie, this could be the very last day. That could be the very last time we ever kiss. That could be the last hug. Yeah, we need to think about this. You don't know how many people I deal with who carry tremendous grief. Saying, I wish I had gotten the opportunity to tell them I love them. I wish I had only whatever. Man, your life is a vapor. You're here today and gone tomorrow. And if we would only live on the doorstep of eternity, we would treat each other a lot differently. We really would. Man has this built-in immortality thing. And it works against him. Be interested in my life. At least act like you are. 
and take time off of work. You know, you go out, you take these, your clients out to lunch. Why not schedule a lunch and appointment with your bride sometime? Take her out to breakfast. Show affection when other people are around. All right, I've got to get you on this one, guys. How many of you opened the car door for your bride when you were dating? Go ahead, hands up. Big and high. Come on now. How many of you opened the car door for your brides? All right, if you're a single guy, how many of you opened the car door for your ladies? Everybody at once here. All right. How many of you guys still open the car door for your wives? Ooh. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. What's that communicate? Challenge you guys. Open a door for her. Make her feel special. Share your goals and your values with me. We already talked about that. Remember them with little gifts or just planning an evening out every so often. Leave notes around the house. That's a neat thing you can do. Just scribble a note, put it in the refrigerator, put it in the washer. I mean, she goes into wash clothes, open the washer. There's a note. You see, that's really a neat thing. Call her from work. You're not that busy. In Delaware, before our church building was built, I had an office in the house. I used to call Janet from the office. You see, because it's the last person she expect to call. I once wrote a note on the mirror with soap and didn't even get in trouble for it. In fact, the note stayed there for a week. What did that communicate to me? It meant something to her. Just a little thing. But it communicated that I'm thinking of you. It's so important. Take me out without the kids more, maybe for just a ride. Listen, home in on this one, guys. We are in a child-centered age with child-centered homes. And please hear this. Those little kids in your home are guests. Very welcome guests. But they are guests. And they are going to leave one day. When they leave, if you have not cultivated your love relationship with your partner, you will have two strangers in that home with no purpose to the marriage anymore because it all centered on the kids. And we'll have a midlife crisis and affair. Yours is the key relationship in your family. Hubby and wife. And it needs to be cultivated. Include her in the things that you do. Now, if that includes chores around the house, you need to have patience here. You know, honey, get me the three-eighths ratchet. Is this it? See, be careful here. Try to understand me. A 12. Here's the key word. No going in, guys, that you'll probably never accomplish it. But give a listening ear, right? Back to number one and two. 13. Get involved with the things I enjoy doing. Now, this is going to involve the supreme sacrifice. Did Jesus offer the supreme sacrifice for you? Yes, he did. He laid down his life for the interests of others, right? Guys, this involves you pulling off the supreme sacrifice. If you really want to demonstrate love to your wife, how many of you want to demonstrate love to your wife? Yes. <laughs> if you really want to demonstrate love to your wife, yes. take her shopping. <laughs> the supreme sacrifice of a man for his bride, this is true, because men, when they shop, they know what they want. 
They go to the store. They pick it up. They take it to the counter. They pay for it. They come home and they went shopping. Women will go shopping not even knowing what they're looking for. They'll go to this store and look and to that store and look and to this store and look. They'll leave that mall and go to another mall and go store to store to store and they'll come home having bought nothing and they'll call that shopping. And you need to do it with them. I don't understand it either. Just do it. Just hold her in your arms and talk to her. The world out there is a very vicious place. And I'm just not talking about out in the world, I'm talking about in the home. How does a woman ever cope with the energy of those little rugrats? With all the other chores that she's doing at home, they work. It's a hurricane almost out there. And when you're in a hurricane, you need a safe harbor. And the safe harbor needs to be the arms of her hubby. And sometimes you just need to hold your wife. Be tender to her, guys. She was created gentle. And you will destroy her with your words. The women that I counsel many times have experienced greater damage as a result of the tongue than any physical damage. Physical damage is something you can put your finger on. Emotional damage is something very, very different. It destroys the soul. Proverbs talked about this. It says, Words go down into the innermost parts of a man and break bones. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This is a murder weapon, guys. It's a murder weapon. And in the height of an argument, you can say something that you will regret the rest of your life. You'll destroy her. Absolutely destroy her. You best memorize Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer will turn away wrath. But an angry word will incite strife. And then you better ask the Holy Spirit to implement that in you. Because you don't want to destroy her. I am convinced that a man can win any argument with his wife. Because she is created so tender, if he wanted to with this thing, he could murder her. You don't want to do it. Helping the discipline of the children. We'll talk about that when we get to Ephesians 6. Say little things, words of caring, compliments, and appreciation. I mean, take an example from Song of Solomon. You come home, she's had a hard day, she's been cooking dinner, she's got throw up on her shoulder from the baby, and the house is a mess, and you look at her and you say, Hey, honey, wow, your hair looks like a flock of goats coming down the mountain. <laughs> it worked for Solomon. <laughs> your neck looks like a tower of granite, you know. <laughs> your eyes look like a couple of birds floating. Hey, I guess you had to be there. But tell her she's pretty. Tell her you're glad that she's your bride. Tell her what a great job she's doing with your children. Tell her how much you appreciate her. 18. Accept her just as she is. Don't try to change her. That's not your job. Your job is to love her. If something needs changing, 
pray for. You may need to share it, but share it in a spirit of total acceptance. Spend more time with the family. Make her feel like a woman. Pray with her, guys. Not just before meals and at bedtime and in time of crisis. Grab her hand at any time during the day and just pray with her. Pray with her over the phone when you call her from work. Share God's Word with her. And I don't mean you've got to break open the Bible and exegete a passage like we do here. Janet and I don't do that. But we share with each other what God's teaching us. Honey, let me tell you what God's teaching me. Let me show you what I found today. Let me, let me tell you this. And honey, what's God teaching you? See? If you'll just do that, it'll bring some real cement to your marriage. Now, there's two things I want to share with you as we close. If you look at this list, man, there is a lot there, isn't there? How are we ever going to do this, guys? That's next week. So you've got to come back next week to find out how you're ever going to do this. And I guarantee you, if you don't get next week and you try this, you'll burn out. Because you weren't made for it. You're not up to the demand. So really be here next week. The other thing, in fact, if you look at that list... Your wife isn't going to fit all these. There are going to be certain ones off this list that she really does have in terms of need. So you need to find out which they are. And the way you're going to do that is this. Ask her. And here's the question. How do you spell love? Janet, how do you spell love? And I don't mean L-O-V-E. I mean, what is it that really ministers to you off this list? What is it off this list that's significant to you that would mean something to you? Incidentally, one guy from the first service gave me a 21 rubber feet. <laughs> he said it's a tried-tested method, so anyway. But to show you how this works, I want to give you a little story. And this is a true story. It happened with a couple in this church. They gave me permission to tell the story. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but if you ask me afterwards, I will give you their initials. Now, <laughs> Hubby came home one day, and he says, Hi, hon, how you doing? Fine. Now that's a clear clue that it's not fine. Okay? So he said, uh, you don't sound okay. You sure you're okay? Yes. Anything bothering you? No. Are you sure nothing's bothering you? Nothing. I said I was fine. Okay. So this went on every day and began to escalate. You know how that works? Can anybody relate to this? How it gets worse over... <laughs> it gets worse as the days go by. Well, finally he comes home and he says, how are you doing today, honey? Fine. What's wrong? Nothing. Look, this has been going on for a week. Something is wrong. Can you tell me what it is? You know. No, no, I, I don't know. Um, can you help me here? She says, didn't you even get my card? Card. Card. I sent a card to your office. Card. card. Yeah, yeah, I got the card. Yeah. Well... It's a nice card. Did you read it? Yeah, I read the card. And it was a nice card. What did you do with it? Well, I put it in my drawer. In the drawer. Are you sure you didn't throw it away? Yeah, it was in my drawer. Gang, what's the problem here? Who really wants the card? She does. That is one of the biggest problems that couples make in a relationship. They spell love for their spouse the way they spell love. She's the one that wants the cards. He's not interested in cards. 
praise him, submit to him, sex him. That's it. Cards don't mean that much to that guy. She needed to learn how he spelled love. And what was she really doing? Crying out that her love needs were not being met. And he needed to learn how to spell love for his wife. I think we ought to have some mighty fun conversations this week in our homes. What do you say? Father, thank you for the time we had today. We love you. This isn't even the beginnings of teaching us how to love. We pray that you'll teach us. And this is for single people too, Father, because they need to know how to minister to the opposite sex, even without a marriage relationship. With everything on that list but the the sexual contact, really. Praising and encouraging, listening to, sharing their life. We can do all those things with any member of that opposite sex and just minister life to them. So, bring this about, not only in our marriage relationships here, but in all our relationships. And we're going to trust you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.